Chapter Seven of the Island Queen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Esther and Simonides. The Island Queen by R. M. Ballantyne. Chapter Seven. Treats of Big Island: A Great Fight and a Royal Family. Dominic said Otto next morning after having solemnly and somewhat mysteriously led his brother to the old burial ground. "'Would you believe me if I told you that last night, when you and the like of you were sound asleep, not to say snorting, I saw some twenty or thirty men fly from this spot like maniacs at the howling of a ghost?' "'No, I would not believe you,' answered Dominic, with a bland smile. "'Would you not believe me if I told you that I was the ghost, and that Hugh Morris was the ringleader of the cowards?' "'Come, Otto, be sensible and explain.' Otto became sensible and explained." Thereupon Dominic became serious, and said, "'Oh, ho!' to which Otto replied, "'Just so,' after which they became meditative. Then Dominic linked in his arm in that of his brother, and, leading him off to a well-known and sequestered walk, entered into an earnest confabulation. With the details of that confabulation we will not trouble the reader. We will only repeat the concluding sentences. "'Well, then, Dom, it's agreed upon, that we are to go on as if we knew nothing about this matter, and to take no notice of it, whatever, to anyone, not even to Pina.' "'Yes, Otto, that's it. "'Of course, I don't like to have any sort of secret from Pina, "'but it would be cruel on us to fill her mind with alarm for no good purpose. "'No, mum's the word. Take no notice whatever. "'Morris may repent. Give him the benefit of the doubt, or the hope.' "'Very well, Dom. Mum shall be the word.' "'Having thus for the time being disposed of a troublesome subject, "'the brothers returned to the place where the immigrants were in "'Confusion was only physical.' and addressed to the eye. The immigrants, who were as busy as ants, had already disembarked large quantities of their goods, which were scattered about in various heaps between the landing-place and the encampment. The harmony, on the other hand, was mental and spiritual, for as yet there had been no time for conflicting interests to arise, and the people were all so busy that they had not leisure to disagree. Besides, the weather being splendidly bright and warm was conducive to good humour. It will be remembered also that Hugh Morris and his friends had resolved to remain quiet for the present. Perhaps the effect of the ghostly visitation might have had some influence in restraining their turbulent spirits. At all events, be this as it may, when Dominic and Otto came upon the scene, everything was progressing pleasantly. The male immigrants were running between the beach and the camp with heavy burdens on their shoulders. The females were busy washing and mending garments, which stood sorely in need of their attention, or tending the sick and what Otto styled the infantry. The sailors were engaged, some in transporting goods, from the wreck to the shore others in piloting two of the large boats through the reef into the lagoon. The larger children were romping joyously in the thickets and trying to climb the coconut trees, while the smaller fry were rolling hopelessly on the sands, watched, more or less, by mothers and big sisters. Chief among those who piloted the large boats through the passage in the reef was Hugh Morris. He took careful observations and soundings as he went along, not that such were needed for the safety of the boats, but Hugh Morris had an eye to the ultimate destiny of the ship. "'You're mighty particular, Morris,' said Malines, with something of a sneer in his tone, when the former drew up his boat inside the reef beside the other boat. "'One would think you were piloting a man-of-war through instead of a little boat.' "'What I was doing is none of your business, Malines,' returned Hugh sternly. "'Your command ceased when you lost your ship, and I ain't going to obey your orders. No, nor take any of your cheek.' "'The emigrants chose to accept me as their commander, at least for the present,' retorted Malines fiercely. To this he replied, with a lack of scorn, that the emigrants might make a commander of the ship's monkey for all that he cared. The emigrants were not his masters, and he would do exactly as he pleased. As a number of his followers echoed the scornful laugh, Malines felt that he had not the power to carry things with a high hand. 
"'Well, well,' he said, with a turn of quiet indifference, "'we shall see. "'It is quite clear to everyone with a grain of sense "'that people can't live comfortably under two masters. "'The people have to decide that matter for themselves before long.' "'Ay, that will they, master,' remarked Joe Binney, "'in a low but significant voice. "'Seems to me, however, that as we're all agreed "'about going over to Big Island, "'we'd better go about it and leave disputation till afterwards.' "'Agreeing to this in silence, "'the men set about loading the boats for the first trip.' Dominic and Otto, standing on the beach, had witnessed this altercation. "'The seeds of much dissension and future trouble are there,' remarked the former. "'Unless we prevent the growth of the seed,' said Otto. "'True, but how that is to be done does not appear obvious at present. These men have strong wills and powerful frames, and each has a large following. I can see that. We must hope that among the immigrants there may be good and strong men enough to keep the crew in check.' "'Luckily, two of the biggest and stoutest are also the most sensible,' said Otto. "'You mean the brothers Benny?' "'Yes, Dom. They're first-rate men, don't you think so?' "'Undoubtedly, but very ignorant, and evidently unaccustomed to lead or command men.' "'What a pity!' exclaimed the boy, with a flash of sudden inspiration. "'That we couldn't make you king of the island. You're nearly as strong as the best of them, and much cleverer.' Dominic received this compliment with a laugh and a shake of the head. "'No, my boy, I'm not nearly as strong as my line.' as to cleverness that does not consist in a superior education or a head cram full of knowledge but in the right and ready application of knowledge no i have no ambition to be a king it won't do for us to stand here talking else we shall be set down as idlers come let us lend a hand playing hand while the men were busy at the boats on the lagoon side of the reef pauline was winning golden opinions among the women at the camp by the hardy unaffected way and when she went about making herself generally useful oh blessed simplicity how adorable thou art and man and women Self-forgetfulness was a salient point in Pauline's character, and, being conjoined with strong powers of sympathy, active to good will to man and beast, and more than the average of intellectual capacity, with an undercurrent of rippling fun, the girl's influence quickly made itself felt. Mrs. Lynch said she was a jewel, and that was extraordinary praise from the strapping widow, who seldom complimented her sex, whatever she may have felt. Mrs. Welf said that she was a dear pretty creature, and laughed loving little Mrs. Nobbs the wife of a jovial harum-scarum blacksmith pronounced her a perfect darling as for the children after one hour's acquaintance they adored her and would have bored her to death had that been possible what the men thought of her we cannot tell for they spake not but furtively stared at her in a sort of reverential amazement and some of them in a state of mild enthusiasm gave murmured utterance to the sentence quoted above blessed simplicity for pauline Regonda was at first utterly unaware of the sensation she had created when the two boats were loaded down to the gunwales, a select party of men embarked and rowed them over the calm lagoon to Big Island. Of course they were well armed, for no one could tell what they might meet with there. Dominic and Otto were of the party, and, being regarded in some measure as owners of the soil, the former was tacitly recognized as leader on this, their first visit. The distance they had to row was not more than a quarter of a mile, so the lagoon was soon crossed. The spot at which they landed was a beautiful little bay with bush-topped cliffs on one side a thicket of luxuriant plants on the other, and palm groves rising to a moderate height behind. The little beach on which they ran the boats was of pure white sand, which induced one of them to name it Silver Bay. Jumping out, Dominic, with a dozen armed men, advanced into the bushes with caution. "'Nothing to be seen here of either friends or foes,' he said, halting. "'I felt sure that we should find no one, and it is of no use taking so many of you from work. Therefore, lads, I would advise you returning to the boats and going to work at once.' My little brother and I will ascend to the top of the cliff there, from which we will be able to see all the neighboring country, and give you timely warning, should any natives appear. 
Pile your rifles on the beach, so as to have them handy, but you've nothing to fear. In a few minutes, Dominic and his brother, each carrying a rifle and cutlass supplied by the wrecked party, had mounted to the top of the neighboring cliff, while the men returned to aid in unloading the boats. "'What a splendid island!' exclaimed Otto, with intense delight, as, from the lofty outlook, they gazed down upon a scene of the richest beauty. From their position on the reef, they had hitherto seen the island through the softening atmosphere of distance, like a rounded mass of verdure, but in this case distance had not lent enchantment to the view, for, now that they beheld it spread out in its all luxuriance at their feet, like a verdant gem resting on the breast of ocean, it appeared infinitely more beautiful. Not only was the mind charmed by the very details of Grove and Bay, thicket and grotto, but the eye was attracted irresistibly to the magnificent trees and shrubs which stood prominent in their individuality, such as the light and elegant alto tree, the stately apape with its branchless trunk and light crown of pale green leaves, resembling those of the English ash, the splendid tamanu and evergreen with its laurel-shaped leaves, the imposing hutu tree, with foliage resembling the magnolia and its large white flowers, the petals of which are edged with bright pink, these and many others, with the feathery palm, and several kinds of mimosa lining the seashore, presented a display of form and color such as the brothers had not up to that time even dreamed of. While Otto gazed in silent wonder and admiration, he was surprised to hear Dominic give vent to a sigh and shake his head. Tom, he said remonstratively, what do you mean by that? I mean that the place is such a paradise that the immigrants won't want to leave it, and I'll interfere with a little plan which had begun to form itself in my brain of late. I had been thinking that among so many tradesmen I should find men to help me break up the wreck, and out of the materials to build a small vessel with which to leave the land. For, to tell you the truth, Otto, I have begun to fear that this place lies so far of the track of ships that we may be left on it for many years like the mutineers of Pitcairn Island. <sighs> I'm sorry you're growing tired of it already, said Otto. I thought you had more of the spirit of Robinson Crusoe in you, Dom, and I never heard of the mutineers of Pitcairn Island, but if— What? Did you never hear of the mutineers of the bounty? Never. My education, you know, has been neglected. Then I'll tell you the story, sometime or other. It's too long to begin just now, but it beats that of your favorite Robinson out of sight, in my opinion. Otto shook his head in grim unbelief. That, he said, is impossible. But as to this island proving so attractive, don't you think that such fellows as Hugh Morris and Malines would take care to prevent it becoming too much of a paradise? Dominic laughingly admitted there was something in that, and he was right. There was even more in that than he had imagined, for the party had not been a week in their new home, when they began to differ as to the division of the land. That old, old story of mighty men desiring to take possession of the land and push their weaker brethren to the wall soon began to reenacted on this gem of the ocean, and bared fair to convert the paradise, like the celebrated Monte Carlo, into a magnificent pandemonium. At one of their stormy meetings, of which the settlers had many, the brothers Binny and Dominic were present. It was held on the shores of Silver Bay, where the first boatloads had been discharged, and around which quite a village of rude huts had sprung up like mushrooms. From those disputatious assemblies, most of the women absented themselves, but the widow Lynch always remained, holding herself in reserve for any emergency, for she was well aware that her opinion carried much weight with many of the party. "'We are a rough lot, and we need tight handling,' whispered the little man named Redding to Joe Binney, who sat on a bank beside him. "'The handling will be tight enough before long,' returned Joe with a decided little nod. Listen, the words a lot, so going to spout. The last remark had reference to Malines, who had just risen to reply to a fiery little man named Buxley, a tailor by trade, who was possessed not only of good reasoning power, but had great animal courage, as he had proved on more than one occasion on the voyage out.
friends said the mate it's all very well for buxley to talk about fair prey and equal rights etc but i ask would it be fair play to give each of us an equal portion of land when it's quite clear that some like joe binney there could cultivate twice as much as his share while a creature like buxley no more a creature than yourself shouted the little tailor could only work up half his lot if even so much continued the mate regardless of the interruption hear hear from those who sympathized with the lines and what could you do with land demanded buxley in a tone of scorn a man that's plowed nothing but salt water all his life this was greeted with a laughing that's so he's only sowed wild oats as yet pitch into him bucky Malines was fast losing temper under the little man's caustic remarks but succeeded in restraining himself and went on it's quite plain that the island is too small to let every man have an equal bit of land so i propose that it should be divided among those who have strength and knowledge to work it and you ain't one of them shouted the irate tailor come come buxley let him speak said joe binney fair play you know that's what you sticks up for ain't it let him speak anyhow continued Malines sharply i mean to keep the bit of ground i've staked off whether you like it or no and so do i cried ralph who is what may be styled the growling man sure and so does myself said teddy malone for i staked off a bit about six feet long and two broad to plant meself in when i give up the ghost this mild pleasantry seemed to calm a little the rising wrath of contending parties much to dominic's satisfaction for he was exceedingly anxious to keep in the background and avoid interference during the week that had passed he had more than once been forced to have sharp words with malines and felt that if he was to act as a peacemaker which he earnestly wished to do he must avoid quarrelling with him if possible the hopes of those who wished to settle matters amicably however were dashed by the fiery tailor who still smarting under the contemptuous tones and words of the mate suddenly sprang to his feet and suggested that as malines knew nothing about agriculture no land at all should be apportioned to him but that he should be set to fishing or some such dirty work for the benefit of the community this was too much for malines who strode toward buxley with clenched fists and furious looks evidently intending to knock him down to the surprise and amusement of everyone Buxley threw himself into a pugilistic attitude and shouted defiantly, "'Come on!' There's no saying how the thing would have ended if Dominic had not quickly interposed. "'Come, Mr. Malines,' he said. "'It is not very creditable in you to threaten a man so very much smaller than yourself.' "'Out of my road!' shouted the man fiercely. "'We don't want gentlemen to lord it over us.' "'No, nor yet blackguards,' growled the voice in the crowd. This so angered Malines that he dealt Dominic a sounding slap on the cheek. For a moment there was a dead silence as the two men glared at each other if it had been a blow the youth might have stood it better but there was something so stinging as well as insulting in a slap that for a moment he felt as if his chest would explode before he could act however joe binney thrust his bulky form between the men leave him to me master he said quietly turning up his wristbands i'm used to this sort of thing and no no said dominic in a deep decided voice listen he grasped joe by the arm and whispered a few words in his ear a smile broke over the man's face and he shook his head doubtfully well a maybe so he remarked and no doubt it would have a good effect now then stand aside said dominic as he retreated a few paces and threw off his coat while malines still stood in a threatening attitude with an expression of contempt on his face my friends he said as he slowly rolled up his short sleeve showing a pair of arms which although not bulky displayed an amount of sinews and muscle that was suggestive of knotted ropes under fair skin my friends he said somewhere in the bible it is written smite a scorner and the simple will beware i have done my best to conciliate this scorner without success i shall now try to smite him and brother david and me will see fair play remarked joe binney if the combatants had been more equally matched the spectators would probably have encouraged dominic with the chair but the difference in size was so apparent that astonishment kept them silent dominic was indeed fully as tall as his opponent and his shoulders were nearly as broad 
but the massive weight of Malines' figure seemed to render the chance of Dominic's success highly improbable. The youth sprang at him, however, like lightning, and, hitting him a violent blow on the forehead, leaped back out of his reach. A little had the effect that was intended. It roused the mate's wrath to the utmost pitch, causing him to rush at his opponent, striking right and left with all his force. Dominic, however, leaped about with such activity that only a few of the blows reached him, and these not with their full force. The result was that the mate became what is styled winded in a few minutes, and was compelled to pause to recover himself. But Dominic had no intention of allowing him time to recover himself. Without a moment's hesitation, he sprang in again and planted a severe left-hander between his opponent's eyes. This roused the mate once more to white heat, and he sought to close with his foe. But the latter prevented that by leaping aside, tripping him up, and causing him to plunge forward on his hands and knees, assisting him to that position with a stiff rap on the right temple as he passed. Then it was that Malins discovered that he had drawn on himself the wrath of one who had been the champion boxer in a large public school, and was quite as tough in himself in wind and limb, though not so strong or heavy. Now, it is not our intention to give a graphic account of that pugilistic encounter, yet is it needful to point out briefly how, being a man of peace as well as a man of science, Dominic managed to bring this fate to as speedy a close as possible. Instead, then, of striking his foe in all directions and the nose, fraying it little with a shot now and then under each eye. This had the effect, owing to constant repetition, of gradually shutting up both the lines' eyes so that he could not easily see. When in this condition, Dominic suddenly delivered first a left and then a right-hander into what is sometimes called the red basket, and stretched his adversary on the sand. Dominic was not boastful or ungenerous. He did not crow over his fallen foe. On the contrary, he offered to assist that smitten scorner to rise. But Malines preferred in the meantime to lie still. It is scarcely necessary to say that the emigrants watched this short but sharp encounter with keen interest, and when it was ended gave vent to a cheer, in which surprise was quite as clearly expressed as satisfaction. Now I tell you what it is, said Joe Benny, striking his great right fist into the palm of his left hand enthusiastically. I never see the likes of this since I was a little boy, and I've got a motion for to propose, as they say at meetings. It's this that we make Master Dominic Rigundi captain over us all. Up started Teddy Malone with a slap on his thigh. And it's myself as will second the motion, only to make him governor of the whole island, if not king. Here, here, said a decided majority of the party. Let him be king! When silence had been partially restored, Dominic politely but firmly declined the honor, giving it as his opinion the first way would be to have a republic. A republic? No, what we want is a despotism, said David Binney, who had up to this point remained silent. A regular despot, a hautograph, is what we want to keep us in order. <laughs> exclaimed Hugh Morris contemptuously. If you'd only let Malines have his way, you'd soon have a despot and autocrat as a keep your nose to the grindstone. Mrs. Lynch, whispered Otto, who had hitherto stood beside the widow watching the proceedings with inexpressible glee. You could have him propose that Pina should be queen. But this suggestion came upon the widow with a shock of surprise, as well as approval, it was obvious from the wide-eyed stare, with which for a moment she regarded the boy, and from her subsequent action. Taking a bold and masculine stride to the front of the disputer, she turned about to face them. Hold your tongues now, boys, all of you, and listen to what your grandmother's got to say. A shout of laughter cut her short for a few minutes. That's right, old woman, out with it. Sure, if you'd stop your noise, I'd out with it fast enough. Now then, here you are. Never a man of ye able to agree with the others. And the reason's not far to seek, for you're all wrong together. It would never do to make one of you a king. Now take my word for it. What you want is a queen. 
A loud explosion of mirth drowned the rest. "'Hurrah for Queen Lynch!' cried one. "'The royal blood of old island forever!' shouted Malone. "'I wouldn't,' said the waiter indignantly, "'condescend to reign over such a nation of pigs, "'if you was to go down on your bare knees and scrape them to the bone. "'No, it's English blood, or Spanish, I don't really know which, "'that I'm driving up. "'For where could you find a better, or honester, or prettier queen than "'that sweet creature, Miss Pauline Rigundy?' "'The idea seemed to break upon the assembly, "'as a light in a dark place. "'For an instant they seemed struck dumb. "'Then there burst forth such a cheer, "'as that the greater part of those present "'sympathized heartily with the proposal. "'I know you'd agree to it. "'Sure, man always does what a sensible woman speaks. "'You see, Queen Pauline the First. "'Hurrah for Queen Pauline the First! yelled the settlers, mingled tears and laughter. "'Queen Pauline the First, you may be sure,' continued the widow, "'would never try to cape order with her fists, "'nor yet with shouting or swearing. "'And then, of course, it would be easy to make Master Dominic, "'or Joe Binney, Prime Minister, "'and little Buxley Chancellor of the Checkers, "'or whatever they calls it. "'Now think of her, boys, and good luck be with you.' gentle just sympathetic and high-minded queen reigning over them proved so captivating to these fellows that the idea which had been first received in jest crystallized into a serious purpose at this point otto raised his voice in his first deliberation of the embryo state friends he said with an air of modesty which we fear was fortunate to his nature although i can only appear before you as a boy my big brother has this day proved himself to be so much more than an ordinary man that i feel somehow as if i had a right to a surplus manhood being next of kin, and therefore I venture to address you as a sort of man. Hear, hear! I merely wish to ask a question. May I ask to be the bearer of the news of this assembly's determination to the the queen? Yes, yes, of course, of course, were the immediate replies. Otto waited not for more, but spread to the new hut, in which the queen was busy preparing dinner at the time. Pina! exclaimed the boy, bursting in. Will you consent to be the queen of Big Island? Come, Otto, don't talk nonsense. I hope Dominic's with you. Dinner is much overdone already. No, but I'm not talking nonsense, cried Otto. I say, will you consent to be a queen? A real queen? Queen of the first, eh? Hereupon he gave his wondering sister a graphic account of the recent meeting and fight and final decision. But they don't really mean it, you know, said Pauline, laughing. But they do really mean it, returned Otto. And by the way, if you become a queen, won't that necessarily make me and Dom princess? As Dominic entered the hut at that moment, he joined the laugh which his question created, and corroborated his brother's statement. In this cheerful frame of mind, the new royal family sat down to dinner. End of chapter 7 Recording by Esther Ben-Simonides